Thank you, musicians. Thank you, uh, everybody that's making this evening possible. I was interested in uh, Richard's uh, prayer over the offering, and he said, thank, thank you, Lord, that uh, we can meet together in the midweek. And I am appreciative of everybody uh, that's made the effort uh, to be here this evening. I know it's not always easy. And, uh, you know, we, we love Christ and uh, his church becomes our priority. Uh, then again, we're back here on, on, on Friday night, if you can go to the Bible studies, but we're back here on Saturday um, uh, for the revival meeting, Saturday, Sunday. I strongly encourage you uh, to put that time aside and be inviting people uh, to uh, the event this weekend. Praise God. Amen. God is good to us. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 12 is going to be the text. We want to read this together. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 12. I read an article uh, just the other day um, and the title of the article was Speech Therapy for Three-Year-Olds Who Shove to Make Friends. And as I read the article, it was uh, teachers were, were saying that some children find it hard to express themselves. They're young, they, they're, they're not able to express themselves, so they try and make friends not by talking, but by pushing, their other friend, pushing another child and waiting to see whether he or she pushes back. They were concerned in Chester in 2016, a project was funded uh, and they brought in to these classrooms speech therapists to help these children, these three-year-olds, remembering that the vast majority of them, English was their first language. The teachers were complaining that, uh, or making the point that they couldn't even instruct the children to stand in a line or a queue because they didn't understand positional instructions. You know, stand in the front, stand beside, stand behind another child. If they were told that uh, it was wet outside, uh, certain children uh, would immediately rush to get their welly, wellies on, their wellingtons, uh, but the teachers made the comment that those with delay didn't realize that when you say the word Wellingtons or wellies, you haven't mentioned shoes, so they were confused. The speech therapist, their role was firstly to improve a child's vocabulary. And I quote from the article, it's not just being able to say teddy, but saying tail or eyelashes that give language its power. It's not that children can't talk, but it's the way words relate to each other that may be very poor. They may know the words dog and cat, but if you want to say the cat's black paw is hurt, that is what matters. And here I want to highlight this part. She added that the deeper aim was to teach children how to use language to form, this is what I want you to home in on, form and stay in relationships, to play games, 
to use language to pretend and to find out about the world. Interesting. Unable to articulate, they shove. I know a lot of people like that. Unable to articulate, they shove. I want to preach about speech therapy as he struggles to say it. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 12, it says these words, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. I want to look at, first of all, being swallowed up. It is frustrating when you can't get the right words. It is frustrating when you can't articulate yourself. Some of us, we're moving on in life. We're getting a little older, and every now and then there are word slips, if you like. Uh, I'm just going to get the keys from the fridge. No, no, I'm I'm not going to get the keys from the fridge. I'm going to get the milk from the fridge, and then I'm going for a drive, and somehow it all got a little confusing. Now, sometimes that can be funny, and in truth, sometimes quite worrying. It's frustrating when you can't get the right words, when you can't articulate. Desmond Tutu, in an address at Nelson Mandela's foundation in Johannesburg in 2004, said, don't raise your voice, improve your argument. That's a very good quote. But for some, they don't have the ability to. They don't know how to. They don't have the words, the vocabulary. And this is not because of physical reasons or neurological reasons. It's just that some people have never learnt or perhaps never had the opportunity to learn. I was reading, I'm currently reading a book called Sweet Distress. And the author describes herself in a, uh, taking a group in a woman's prison and the group she was dealing with were largely emotionally, were in because of largely emotionally driven crimes. For example, uh, some were sitting there, they'd set fire to their own homes. We, we have to ask, why, why would you set fire to your own home? Well, she goes on to explain they didn't have the appropriate communication skills to tell the council and other authorities about situations and relationships that were getting out of hand. Instead, they just shouted. They insulted. And then when things got really bad, simply turned into self-sabotaging destruction. Quite a few people lived like that. So part of the program was to encourage these women in appropriate ways of engaging more than just simply getting angry and cursing and swearing. And one exercise was to tell stories. They would sit in a group and the idea was the women would begin to tell a story with the aim of gaining a sympathetic ear. So one of the women went forward to tell her story or to tell a story and uh, uh, as, as it went on, the, the, uh, the lady running the group said to her, perhaps you might like to add a few adjectives to your story to give it some color, to give it some interest. She said, what do you mean adjective? 
the lady then spent the next 10 minutes speaking to the group about what makes up speech. Nouns, verbs, adverbs, adjectives. She said, I spoke for about 10 minutes and there was a stunned silence. And then one of the ladies said, why has no one told us this before? Words swallowed up. One translation or several translations says they are destroyed by their own words. Shall throw him down headlong. Will swallow him up. Jesus said it this way, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And I know that has an eternal element to it, but there's also plays out in life. I watched a man in court ending up confessing to crimes that he wasn't even charged with. Not able to see where his mouth and his words were taking him as he was being led along the path by the judge, but ending the judge fortunately in the end showed him grace. But Proverbs says, you are snared. You are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Your words are affecting your marriage. Your inability to get the right words to articulate is affecting your friendships how you deal with authorities. It's about job advancement. It's about progress. I'm talking about, and I'm quoting another man's line, I just thought it was very powerful. I'm talking about because of words, and here's his quote, you're put way behind the starting line in the race of life. Three-year-olds, without the basics of language. Julie Lakovich, a senior lecturer at Manchester's University who was overseeing this project, described the children's problem as absolutely worrying and said if they did not catch up by the age of five, there could be lasting damage. What we're speaking about is a void. A void that is created in somebody's life simply by the inability to communicate, a hole in which we often stumble ourselves, or as our text says, we're swallowed up. And so therefore, what it brings our attention to is the great gift of teaching. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, probably I don't know if it's one, of, well, it's one of the best books I've probably ever read. Malcolm Gladwell's book called Outliers, The Story of Success. And in that book, and I would recommend every young man that wants to do something for God, every young woman, to have a read. It's a secular author, but it's brilliantly written. And in that book, he makes this comment. He says, middle-class parents talk things through with their children. He's talking about the difference of life potential, success, failure, what works against somebody, what works for them. And he talks about middle-class parents. He says they talk things through with their children, reasoning with them. 
They didn't just issue commands. They expected their children to talk back to them, to negotiate, to question adults in positions of authority. Gladwell tells a story about the doctor's surgery and makes the case between, and I guess he's referring particularly, I'm assuming in America, but it would be true here, about those that are in a a middle-class background versus a poorer background. And he said the difference many doctors will comment on is someone comes in, a mother perhaps comes in with her smaller child, and the child is sitting there, maybe six or seven years old, and uh, the doctor to ask the child what's the matter and the mother speaks for him or her. And uh, whereas the, perhaps from the middle class background, and I'm assuming that's the age, six, seven, eight years old, the child is, is encouraged to speak first, express, and then the adult might come in. Dad will ask this question. He said, if I offered you a choice between being an architect for $75,000 a year and working or or, or offered a choice between being an architect for $75,000 a year and working in a toll booth every day for the rest of your life for $100,000 a year, which would you take? He said, I'm guessing the former because there is a complexity and autonomy and a relationship between effort and reward in doing creative work. And that's worth more to most of us than money. Work that fulfills those three criteria criteria is meaningful. Being a teacher is meaningful. Being a physician is meaningful, and so is being an entrepreneur. Now, the point that I just wanted to draw out of that quote is perhaps there is no greater job, nothing more meaningful if you have children than teaching them. I'm talking about a huge benefit. We're looking at improving language, giving a child the best start in life. We're talking about and looking at the importance of words. We're talking about the ability to communicate, to articulate, to add, because in life, it plays out. And so it brings us to the importance of parents or in, in maybe our Sunday school classes, our children's Sunday school classes of storytelling. Joel chapter 1 verse 3 says, tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. In uh, Joshua, it talks about uh, the children of Israel coming into the promised land and crossing the Jordan, and God instructed them to have memorial stones to get a, 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 some rocks and pile them up, and, and, and it was so that in years to come, children would say, what are they doing there? And then you would tell a story. You'd tell a story about Egypt you tell a story about life. You tell a story about God's deliverance. There's something about storytelling that adds to vocabulary, an understanding of the power of communication, the importance of reading. Jesus said these words, have you never read? Have you never read? He's expecting 
people around him to have read. Groucho Marx, an American comedian, said, I find television very educating. Every time somebody turns on the set, I go into the other room and read a book. Dr. Seuss said these words, the more you read, the more things you'll know. The more you learn, the more places you'll go. Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States, and the list of what he accomplished is pretty impressive. He said, the person who deserves the most pity is a lonesome one on a rainy day who doesn't know how to read. We're talking tonight about the importance of teaching communication. Instead of throwing a tantrum as young children, perhaps as much as possible you would stop that child at a certain age, and you'll have to work that through as a parent, but instead of just getting their way or expressing themselves by shouting and screaming and, and manifesting, it might be better to say, hey, I'm not even interested, stop. Now explain, what are you wanting? What are you needing? And perhaps even if you don't want to give it, if it's a good enough explanation, it might be worth the sacrifice because you're teaching a child something. You're teaching them that emotion doesn't work. Temper tantrums will only get you so far in life. Emotional manipulation will only get you so far in life. Changing your mind by listening to someone articulate something is a great gift to give somebody. I thought this, but I've listened to your reasoning and I will change my mind. I remember a young married man enthusiastically filled with joy when him and his young wife bought their first dining table. And he said these words, he said to me, in my life growing up, we never, the dining table meant nothing to us. In fact, he wasn't even sure if he even had one. They used to eat in front of the TV. They, nowadays, it's probably in front of a, a screen, an iPad, an iPhone. Let me tell you, your biggest enemy, parent, your biggest enemy for all of us is our screens. We say we have no time. It's frightening. Have a look at your screen and see the hours that you spent this week looking. They're addictive. We're looking at them instead of with our kids. You can't but go to a restaurant and see families sitting around and they're all looking at their screens. Your dining table is perhaps a huge asset in a family. There's nothing like a meal together to learn communication. We're talking about the use of words. Words change things. The right word spoken the right way bears fruit. A soft answer, Proverbs 15, 1 says, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but a mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. 
you'll remember the story, and I'm moving quickly in Joshua chapter 22, when the children of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh uh, built a, an altar there on one side of the Jordan. That was their land. And so they built this altar. The children of Israel have gone into the other land across the Jordan to possess that land. And they hear about this huge altar uh, and they assume idolatry. And so the Bible tells us in verse 12 that the children of Israel heard of it. The whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. They're going to wipe them out. But the children of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh stood and they explained and they articulated and they said, this is not an idol of idolatry. We built it so in years to come when your children's children's children uh, hear about us on the other side of the river, they don't think we're disconnected. They don't think we're like an enemy. We want them to know we're part of you. And the Bible says... When they spoke, it pleased them. War was diverted because of good words. Misunderstanding was diffused by words spoken well. Our God understands the power of a good word. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, the Proverbs tells us. And in Psalms 107, verse 20, it says, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. We're talking about the power of articulation. We're talking about the power of words to bring change. And I'm closing with a wise man's mouth. Life has nuances that must be negotiated. In other words, life is complicated. There's lots of things happening at the same time. And when you're young, life is far more black and white. We join a crusade, stop the fossil fuels now. You know, we, this is offensive, tear it down. We, we join things with no real understanding except our feelings are alerted and life is black and white. I read a comment that our generation has lost the art of being well adjusted. And I think that's a fair comment. We're very extremist. We have what's called black and white thinking. Everything is black or white. Everything's one or the other. There's no gray. A study in the University of Reading on depression and other mental health issues uh, and the view of self. Uh, often uh, people are less connected with others and they were doing these various studies on depression and mental health issues and they identified what they called absolutist language. Absolutist language. And I quote, this in effect reflects what we call black and white thinking. Thinking in which there is none of that flexibility which we now know is better for mental health. Think about that subject, think about that, pause for that moment. Absolute language might include words like never, always, nothing, and completely. 
as well as phrases that I've heard used very often in therapy, no question, no doubt, no two ways about it. This is the book, Sweet Distress, How Our Love Affair with Feelings Has Fueled the Current Mental Health Crises and What We Can Do About It by Gillian Bridge. Everything in life is either exhilarating, extremely positive, or we're damned. People live on the roller coaster of emotion and thinking. And unless you're able to navigate life with all of its, bla- all of its gray areas, its nuances, you have to know how to use the right words or you just end up shoving. You can't communicate, so you just shove. Language matters. And so I'm bringing this to a close for us. For us sitting here, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're old, whether we're young, there is a challenge to learn. Christians Disciples are learners. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 10 to verse 12, the preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome, wearisome to the flesh. He's speaking of the Word of God. He's speaking of Proverbs. He's speaking of the wisdom that is here. He says there are many books, and perhaps we could say to our generation, you can spend hours on the internet. There are sources and clips for everything. But be admonished by good words. As you will study this book your thinking will change. As you study this book and learn of it and learn of the wisdom within it, as you begin to give yourself on a daily basis, at least getting some of the word in you, I would encourage you not just to race through your reading, but pause and think and ask and ponder. Study the book. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading The church, our church, should have a culture of reading. The book, books, learning language, learning new words, learning about a life outside of our own experience and our own thinking, our own black and white way of reading and, 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 and learning, and probably out of all the Christian disciplines, this perhaps is one of the most easily cast aside with, well, I find it hard. I've never been able to read well. I think a lot of us perhaps came into church feeling that way, but yet, and perhaps I can close by quoting Chris High, young man in our church. I remember him uh, calling me or, or speaking to me at one time. Uh, he he uh, was able to come to, to Prescott with us on the, on, in January, and no doubt God's doing good things in his life, but I can, turn, I can put to you perhaps a turning point. 
And this was months ago, and he came up to me and he shared the fact that he had read a book and he was electrified. They were the words he used to me then, I'm sure of it. It was electrifying. I asked him today to send me a, uh, a little testimony. I want to read it at school. I strongly, now uh, Chris is probably 20. How old are you, Chris? 19? 18. At school, I strongly disliked reading books. When I finished sixth form, I picked up a book and it was my first proper read. And I valued the topic and the message it was getting across, which made me want to read more. The first two books that encouraged me to continue to read were Alan Redpath's book, The Making of a Man of God. And after that, Why Standards by Pastor J. Nembard, which Pastor Brown had mentioned. This particular book explained to me about ministry as well as the standards and expectations that come with it. And then I, then I, I hit a moment of realization. Snap. If this one little book could show me so much, what could a larger book teach me? I wanted to read more. I heard a statement that those, these authors put a lifetime of their education with large sums of money into creating a book that you can simply read and gain so much from it. Their intelligence makes me feel enlightened. It is so rewarding to talk about these nuggets with other readers like Pastor Yomi, for example, who is always encouraging everyone with more titles. When pastors in the church recommend books to guys and they come back to ask if you've enjoyed it and if you have, you have something to connect on. It's like a shared vision. We're working on our app to upgrade the book section. I think perhaps in time we'll have a list of pastors' names, evangelists that will be updated regularly with books that they're reading or they recommend. But the point I close with is this. To have friends, you don't have to shove. Language matters. Let's bow our heads together, amen. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. God bless you this evening in the presence of God. I pray by the Holy Ghost, men and women here are stirred. Stirred to read, stirred to learn communication. God help us. But I want to address those. The Bible says that the Word became flesh. God wanted to communicate to man, and so he sent his Son, God in the flesh, to reveal to us, to demonstrate to us, to show us who God is, to communicate God, the Word became flesh. And He communicated His love. He communicated the dangers of sin. He warned, He spoke, He showed that man was lost that sin separates us from God. You're living life without Him, maybe sitting here or watching on live stream, and you're missing the Word, instructions on life. You're living out of God's will.
In fact, you're going against what he has prescribed and what he said. You're breaking his rules. And the result of that, the result of that is that you're separated from God. And you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I, I want to submit myself to God. I want to turn from the way I'm living. I actually understand God is calling me. I want to become a Christian. I want to follow God. I, I want to leave my sin behind. I want you to put your hand in the air and say, that's me. You're on the balcony, front to back, left to right. You're watching on live stream. If you are, there's a prayer going to come up online, and I would encourage you, lay hold of God. Pray that prayer. Get right with God. If you're here today visiting, new in the church, or maybe you once were following Christ, but you've gone back, you're on the wrong road. You say, I want to get back with God. Put your hand in the air. Last call I'm going to make quickly. Anybody at all? Anybody, I need to pray. Then let's stand together as we close the service. I don't know whether there are parents that feel the need to pray, whether there are young men that God's dealing with you, young women, older men. Well, I don't know. If you feel the need to come and pray, you're welcome. Uh, God's dealing with you, or you want to stand with me and worship and just ponder before God. But let's stand. Can we? Uh, we're going to close in just a few moments, uh, but we want to close this. Uh, uh, let me say to you, sometimes in your own mind, Black and white thinking is not always healthy. I know there are issues to stand on. I believe it. But relationships have nuances. Friendships, marriage, success in life. The life is, you have to negotiate, you have to learn. You're going to give yourself to learning. Come, let's stand together. Let's worship God. Now lift your hands if you're not praying. Amen. Let us just pray for each other. Let us pray for this congregation. I'd ask you to pray that. I'd ask you to pray for our parents in the church. Raising small children, there's many, many challenges. 
I would challenge again. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I have a phone. I, I'm, I'm potentially as addicted to looking at it every few minutes, email for just like everybody else. It's our enemy. It's not our friend. I'm more and more, I'm convinced it's affecting people. Look at your screen time. I challenge you. Look how many hours. You just have a look at that. Seize your time. I would encourage disciples. I'd encourage young men, young women, older men. I'd say, you know what? I'm going to become a reader. On the train, I'm going to read. When I get opportunities at my lunch break, perhaps I can read. Perhaps different moments I can seize time and read and, and, and read recommended books if you can just to save your time but obviously you'll hear things and think man that's a good good book but may, may it become a culture in our church and may every young young man and I pray every young man and every young would have that same snap that snap what a joy this book has changed my life. This book has added something to me. I never understood about marriage, never understood about money, never understood about relationships, never understood about people, never understood about the mind, never understood about spiritual warfare, never understood about prayer. Never. I mean, it goes on. And not forgetting most of all, God, in here, let me read. Let's bow our heads together. God bless you. We're going to pray. Father, right now I'm asking, come, would you join with me as we close in prayer? Pray for one another. Pray for this church. Pray for our brothers, sisters, parents in very difficult time. Lord, Father, let there be an acceleration and anticipation. Let our young men and women learn, God. Let there be a renewing of mind, God, that which has been hurt and traumatized, that which has been oppressed, oh God, bring freedom. Bring a renewing by the word, God. Bring a flexibility of thinking. Bring a grace. Let words and articulation, let new words be learnt. Let there be a growth. Let our children, uh, God, uh, it be advanced. Uh, God, and those that have physical or neurological issues, let there be a touch of God and a real miracle. God, and a blessing upon them. Uh, God, we're asking your grace that this service and this sermon and your word will bring an absolute blessing to our lives and we give you the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen.